They've tried to gobble me up on more than one occasion. Why do they despise me so? I created them. Do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created? Here on Earth? Stop looking at me like that. I'm no loon. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 53, Deities, Pantheons, and Religion. All throughout, like, especially like when we're young, we're told, especially around family, don't talk politics, don't talk religion. But that's why the thing I love about role playing games is you can do both all the time, and there's really no penalty for it. <laughs> like I have, I have a table that's full of players all throughout the political spectrum with all sorts of varying religious ideas. Um, but like, despite that, like my games are chock full of politics and religion, like all the time. Hmm. And so I think like role playing games in general are just amazing because you can separate you from your character and are allowed to explore things you otherwise wouldn't, especially in normal conversation, especially with people you care about because you're afraid of things getting heated and whatnot. And it gives you leeway to like explore some controversial, deep ideas. And I think for me, like, like when I was younger, I was a more fervent evangelical Christian. Um, and I think that's part of the reason it, I was driven to fantasy is because I could uh, indulge in these characters and empathize with the characters without having to worry about if they were going to go to hell. And it was really interesting that I could like separate myself from my religion um, at the time in order to explore those things. And it took fantasy to do that. Um, and I think it's just a like D and D and role playing games in general, just a huge form of escapism where we can like indulge in politics and religion without the fear of pushback and oh it's just like like I, i'm excited to talk about religion because otherwise you know you guys know me i love to talk about religion anyway <laughs> um but it's normally something that is kind of society always kind of the deepest topics are often um pushed the deepest down Ooh, that's the deepest. a that's a pretty good quote right there <laughs> the Wait, the deepest topics are often pushed the deepest down. I mean, the core of the uh, idea is strong. The actual quote was <laughs> the strange. actual quote is um... no, I, Jake. I think you have a good point here. Where um, there's a lot of things that can be explored in D and D that maybe are uncomfortable or inappropriate or just um, avoided in real life, mm. and yeah, it's just it's worth exploring. Were you guys like that at all? Like. Um... I don't know. I, when I would read like historical fiction and stuff, I would just be so caught up with like, I love this guy, but he's definitely like, he died at the end. So he's like burning in hell right now. And it was like so much more freeing for me to like read fantasy. Cause I would be like, Oh yeah, he's clearly in Valhalla now. Like it just like, I don't know. It was really, I think that's what drew me to fantasy is I didn't have to worry about like everyone's having the right beliefs. I don't know. Interesting. No, I've never experienced I, that. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had that. That's so weird. Like, oh no, like, Julius Caesar's in hell right now. <laughs> like, oh. Like, but now I am. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's start this off. So, 
First off, let's talk about how uh, religion, deities, pantheons typically work in D&D. Because there seems to be a standard idea of this like pantheon of very different gods that all work in conjunction with each other, that all serve their different purposes in the multiverse. Um, and you can kind of pick and choose like a buffet, like which gods you're cool with and which gods you hate. Um, has this kind of broad pantheon of very different deities been around forever? Like, like has that been around since first first edition, Will? Do you know? From what I understand with first edition is that a lot of the game developed organically out of uh, out of need. So a player is like, oh, I'm a fighter. And they're like, well, where did you train? And he's like, oh, this this place. And they're like, oh, I'm a cleric. Who do you worship? And they're like, uh, this guy. So as far as I can tell, one of the first or maybe the first uh, religious figure they worshipped was Saint Cuthbert, which I think is a real saint. What? That's yes. awesome. But in Greyhawk, Saint Cuthbert is the uh, the main guy, uh, if I recall. And probably somebody will write in and correct me. I don't know much about Greyhawk. Um, but definitely they were born out of need, not out of an overarching uh, grand plan for world building. Yeah, yeah. And I think as the as D&D became more mainstream and got more commercialized, um, I think in order to lower the barrier of entry, there kind of were these themes of, like, uh, in order to allow anyone to make any type of character, they had to kind of had have ready-made deities for, like, any possibility, which is why we have these kind of canon pantheons that are just, like, jam-packed full of, like, every possible alignment and morality and uh, element that just, yeah. Well, I... I... I've heard it explained as a lot of the later D&D world building, and especially with the pantheons, was sort of, um, what do they say, grid filling. Um, what that means is like you have the, the nine blocks in the alignment grid, and suddenly you have to like make up a god that is this alignment and this combination of alignments. And then you have all these planes, and oh, we need a plane that is this intersection of this element and this alignment and whatever. And so you get weird... Um, the world building that isn't really that interesting where you get like, oh, here's the chaotic evil goddess of the mud, the realm of mud. Like, do we really need that? Like, we could, we could think of something more thematically useful. Mudbert. Saint Mudbert. <laughs> Saint Mudbert. I don't know. I think it, I also think that it stems from like, it's, it's going to sound cliche, but like a regression into tribalism where you're exploring a lot more simple tribalistic ideas through a fantasy setting like you're you're in your tribe you know of adventuring party and you're fighting the bad guys and with that it goes back to like older ideas of religion so you look at like the 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 original the og pantheon of gods whether it's like anubis with like egypt or you know zeus in uh Greece, Greece and, Rome. and Rome. Yeah, they have their own like pantheons based off of like this is the god of like craftsmanship and the god of this and that kind of like translates into D&D that we see now, but we don't see more advanced concepts of religion as much or very often. So like you look at like the Catholic Church, like that's not really present as much in at least in the forgotten realms. Oh, okay, so there's so much cool stuff here, David. Um and Jake, I feel like you probably have a lot to add here too. Mm-hmm. The thought of the what you're calling tribalism, we'll just call it like ancient religions. Yeah. 
um, like when you have these pantheons and these gods represent all these different things, like they have a god for literally any aspect of life or concept yep. or or natural phenomenon. Um, and I wonder if because Dungeons and Dragons was born out of um, the Wisconsin, Minnesota area um, from these guys who are like white, straight males um, with sort of this, the Americanization, the, um, what's the right word? The, it's not conservative, but like the Christian, Judeo-Christian backgrounds. And so mm-hmm. when you have a game where suddenly you can explore concepts of like, I worship this God who's like the God of fire and he's real in this world. Like he, there's tangible things that show the God of fire. Like that's super cool because now it's more interesting than just saying like, because if you're looking at medieval history, then you have, um, like the real things that happen is really just the Roman Catholic church was in charge and you worship that or you don't. And you're just sort of a, an outcast. Yeah. That's a really interesting point of like, um, it seems like the first editions of D and D like from its origins were very like um, in the combat martial prowess of it was like strict to the medieval roots. Mm-hmm. But when it came to religion, like, they kind of went hog wild and were just like, oh, so oh, I, I can worship the the Lord of Light, or oh, I can worship uh, the uh, the God of the Deep, like oh, I, it's and like you see that kind of uh, gleeful um, experimentation that yeah creates mm-hmm. these um, bloated pantheons filled with with so many deities for any cleric's need, mm-hmm, and, yeah. and I like that. It's, it, and I think we now that we're in the later stages, well, not later. Unless D and D is going to die off, um, <laughs> but now that we're we're later along in the life cycle of of D and D, we're starting to see that they're coming cliche. I think I think there's a lot of uh, rebellion against this type of like, I don't know, or is there? Maybe I've just been reading certain comments that are just like people are just kind of bored of uh, people taking the standard gods from five E, or they're taking canon gods from other places and just kind of filing the name off and, and making their own name or just like the boring tropes of this is the god of life and this is the god of death and this is the god of nature and this is the god of beasts it's just like i don't know is that useful like have we reached a point of like yeah it, it works it's there because it works or are these tropes kind of tired what oh, okay go ahead i, I was something. gonna say i think that there's a lot more things to explore with religion like especially looking at more modernized religions and as you go into, as we've come to the 21st century, religion is more of like an ideal almost or an ideology. And it's, it, and, and it's become intertwined together. And I think that we'll probably see the same thing with D&D where religion is focused more upon like uh, almost the alignments where you have different religions that are more about the alignment itself than they are about like Ooh. the gods who are of different aspects, like the god of thunder and, and whatnot. Okay, so I have something to say to that real quick, Will. Um, yeah, I think that's something that's really interesting. What you said about the um, being the in the modern sense of religion is more of an ideal, and it's very interesting. It's this sort of faith and hope in a deity, as opposed to. In D&D, where things are objectively, like the, the deity, the pantheon, these these characters, these larger-than-life uh, gods are objectively real. And it changes, like you said, from like a faith, a hope, an ideal to like an obedience, a, uh, a more certainty-like intervention um, that changes what religion is in our world and how it is in, in the D&D world. What, okay. what were you going to say, Will? So I, I was going to push back on um, what it sounds like David is saying that as our knowledge and our experience with 
real religion in on, here on Earth historically and, and through the modern times. As that has grown and changed, so has our, our perception and appreciation of the concept inside D and D. And I'm not sure that's happening. I think that um, I'm not really. Sh- I haven't seen the things Jake is talking about, where people are bored with this stuff. But I can attest anecdotally that I am also quite bored with the um, the out of the box pantheons that come with the game, uh, at least with Forgotten Realms. Um, I think that there's going to be more of a push toward making this part of the game interesting because it's not really. And I think that a lot of people, um, like this millennial generation, whoever, um, and, and no offense if you're older than a millennial, but it's great that you're playing D&D, but um, people don't really understand or appreciate the impact that religion has on every aspect of society, especially Definitely. in medieval times. Like, Because in D&D, it's like, oh, who do you worship? Uh, so-and-so, the god of whatever. And you're like, oh, great, that's good for you. When we really need to amp this up, and I think this episode is going to touch on this a lot, where it's like, we need to have festivals holidays yes um, observances like all of these things that revolve around yeah it has to be like in every part of your life um and also like why are people getting along in D? yeah like it religion is just this hugely divisive thing <laughs> that pe- people have been killing each other over because they misinterpreted like one verse uh, yeah. and, you know pick your religion here um and and everybody's like so agreeable and so uh, progressive in in their forgotten realms where it's like oh yeah like I worship the god of death and uh, necromancy and you worship the god of love and life. Um, and let's we're in be... the same adventuring party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we have no <laughs> agreement, no disagreement. I mean, yeah. Um, so oh. yeah, there's just so much here. Okay, I'm excited well, to dig into that. So before we start deconstructing these things, we have to set up for everyone like what how pantheons typically work in D and D. So let's just get through the standard thoroughfare of what religion um, and gods are like in D&D. So I think we touched on the first part, like uh, we've mentioned this before in previous episodes, like you can't really be an atheist in D&D. Like there's so much proof uh, of the gods existing that, you know, they are objectively real. Um, Yeah. It it changes the meaning of faith and atheism um, because it's like an atheist in D&D is like a flat earther today. Like you're scientifically disproven. Yeah, which is definitely really strange. I think an atheist yeah. in D&D would be more along the lines of someone who hates the gods and despises them. And that's valid. Yeah. Or but just like it. apathetic or just like annoyed that I mean cuz think of that like you kind of have almost this like Lucifer complex of like from uh what's it called? Paradise Lost of like better to uh rule on earth and serve in heaven. Like why are these massive like amazing powerful deities like why do they get control of everything? Right. And why are they so ineffective at making anything work <laughs> like most of the problems in the forgotten realms lore are caused by gods like if they had just stayed yeah. home then we would have been fine yeah definitely so so yeah the gods are objectively real um another thing that's, that's very common we've already touched on that it, very rarely is there a dnd world where there's one god mm-hmm. there's always gods that represent different things and like i said normally they're bloated pantheons filled with every type of god you could imagine from every hypothetical point of view or representing any type of element or virtue. Um, so normally D&D is just filled with deities. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and to the point where I don't really know how useful it is. Like, Jake, name for me three gods from the from your pantheon. Oh, I can do that easily. <laughs> uh, Arion, Mechanus, the All-Mother... Um, those are the ones that my, my players are currently serving right now in, in different capacities. But yeah, I have, um, I, I did the simple world building thing. We'll talk about it later of just like assigning each alignment, a deity. 
mm-hmm. um, which is pretty standard uh, world building. Um, but yeah, I, I did that, and I think the only reason my players care about it is is just the amount of time they've they've been in my world, and like even my players will like curse in game. They'll be like, like Arion, damn it. <laughs> and like it's just it's really cool to see that kind of like um ingrained in uh into the world. Um but no, I don't I, going back, I probably would have made a pantheon a little more complex. Um but I think it served its purpose and I think it still is. Um but yeah, g- going to your point like yeah, most people can't name especially for the 5e Forgotten Realms like like canon. Uh there's just so many gods that do so many different little things that, yeah, you can kind of pick and choose and then ignore the rest, which seems really weird that you can ignore a literal objective god existing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of pantheons, and I never have been. I just think that they're not really interesting because they're so distant and, I guess, manipulative and, like, they're unknowable to an aspect where I just, like, I'm super apathetic and don't care about them. Because yeah. I'd, I'd rather have, like, one or two, like, really impactful figures that, you know, you're constantly intera- interacting with or coming across or, you know, you're you're struggling against than just, like, 20 just unknowable, like, <laughs> figures that are really, just, yeah. they're just, like, invisible NPCs that just kind of screw you over sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, or- that's that's not really interesting or engaging rather than having, like, so one if you or don't two. Like- it, do you not like gods or do you not like pantheons? I don't like pantheons. Okay. So what like would gods. D&D look like with only one god? Like kind of a monotheistic, like singular, how would it change? Oh, I know. Um, what would change is the interpretation so that god's will. Oh, and yes. So you have all these different groups that are like, yes, we follow the one god, but like he told us to do this. Yeah. And, so, and it would be so interesting because then you have like, oh you know, 90 yeah. sects. Oh my god. Of, <laughs> so it would, oh no, my. it would look like a lot like Christianity, how it has a lot of denominations, but they'd be more extreme and pushed to different well, levels. Especially when you look back, like so many of the world's religions come from a singular like creation myth, like yeah. uh, Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity have all kind of gone through this like uh darwinian split of like all these family trees into all these different sects um and and yeah i love the idea of like because technically like um the christian judeo uh, jehovah is the same thing as uh islam uh what's it allah right like it's this it's the same technically god but the interpretations are so far apart that like it's hard to even for either side even admit that, um, which is really interesting. So I, I love the idea of, of like there only being one God, but there's like so many different, you know, colored banners representing that mm-hmm. singular deity. <laughs> and it's inter- yeah, it's interesting because you have you have people who like try to use and and to even have that God be very distant and just kind of more of a force and not really like a character like Zeus coming down from the heavens. Yeah. Like, literally speaking to people, just having it more of like a, I don't know, like Concept? the force. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that is interesting. That'd so, be something that'd be interesting to, you know, like the force. look into. Yeah. And for me, like that's much more approachable and engaging and easy to do than trying to set up, you know, 40 different gods in your game. And each one has a specific like race and all these different things. So will I, Eberron, does Eberron, the setting, have no gods? 
we're one god tell me like what's the i All right, don't right so keith baker the creator of eberron he dislikes the sweet. idea uh in D D that gods are objectively real so there's no gods in his world that anyone has ever seen or experienced what he has is multiple faiths that worship the, i think it's like six of them it's it's a pretty small quote-unquote pantheon compared to D D, but nobody knows if they're real uh, and everybody believes theirs is real and believes everyone else's is not. So you get a lot more, like already you have tension in the story where you have, um, like there is a more, I guess you'd call it Catholic-esque uh, in the crusader sense of the the historical term. Um, the, let me find the name. I think it's called the Sovereign Host or maybe it's the Church of the Silver Flame. And essentially they just worship the these concepts, uh, these people who, who no one can really prove to you. But they do grant you powers or at least... People produce miracles, you know, because clerics have to have magic. Um, but yeah. you can't prove if that's not just like another school of arcane thought or if they're accessing a different part of um, the weave. Oh, um, yeah, that is really cool. I love the debate that is mm-hmm. just kind of missing from from all D&D, uh, D&D stuff. And I love, we'll talk about it later, the, um, the relationship between deities and, and magic. Because mm-hmm. a lot of, of spells are bestowed it seems um, on the the player. So, without a god, those take some different uh, different flavoring. Okay, so so uh, another thing about pantheons, uh, or another thing about just religion, pantheons, deities is like all of this is very very tied to world building. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this kind of has to be baked in from the start. Um, I know all of us are huge fans of like saying like, oh, hey, where are you? Where are you from? And you could just make up a town. Right. Mm-hmm. And it can become real. Um, but I think it's it's much harder to be like, oh, who do you serve? You can just make up a god because that has a little more sway on like the the universe, like the world um, that you guys are mutually creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, most of the time your pantheon, your gods um, are are built in from the start from from world building how, how have you guys handled that or well so this should tell you this should tell you how little it has mattered in my world to where i have said to players who do you worship what aspect do they govern and what's their name and the players are like oh you know well barney the god of dinosaurs <laughs> purple <laughs> Uh, because it doesn't really matter because in my world's gods are not walking on on the planet um, and they're not influencing your life directly even a divine intervention would be um, probably coincidental at best. Maybe vague. Huh. For me in world building, one of the most interesting things would be to have more like messianic figures or like pope-like figures. Prophets mm-hmm. or something. Prophets, popes, like what what have you. Like someone who directly really like embodies like that particular type of religion, but that you can directly interact with and talk to. That's and so talk good. About. Like, I love my, that. My example is like Game of Thrones does that really well because you start to learn the religions like based off of the people who follow them. Like, you know, there's the the Red Witch or the Red Woman, whatever you want to call her. I forget her name. Uh, Melisandre. And you Mm -hmm. learn about, you know, the Lord of Light through her. And Mm -hmm. it's like, is he really real? And then you start seeing her do interesting things. And it's like calling into question, you know, aspects of religion in that world. And then there's the seven and then there's the faceless God and there's all these different things. And it's, and it's really interesting when you 
look at it that way and you're seeing it through real people rather than just like yeah. an invisible like hand like waving his hand like or, or even just a wiki entry that's saying like here's the 10 gods of whatever yeah like it, yeah it's so much more interesting to present it almost like a mystery um because yeah. at no point in game of thrones do you really learn if the gods are real you no. see things that suggest that things are happening and they might be real um but it's just as valid being a skeptic and a cynic and an atheist as it is to yeah. be a follower yeah, I think George R. R. Martin toes a fine line excellently um, mm-hmm. with the different gods. And they do seem to have power, but it's like, yeah, all of it can be marked up to coincidence sometimes. Um, I think that's really cool. I love, David, what you said, like kind of a pope-like figure or prophet. Like yeah. imagine in our world if there was someone who was like a 5e cleric that could like literally commune with, with a deity. Like mm-hmm. they would be – there would suddenly be a power structure around them. You know, oh, like yeah. maybe they people would try to silence them or like keep them in a place. Um, maybe the U.S. government would capture them and like try to interpret. And, you know, they, they suddenly become the sole interpreter of God's will. Like there's so much cool political hierarchical stuff that happens like with like if there's only one person that can objectively talk to. Right. And, and just having world building where it says like, hey, look, there are prophets every whatever 40 years or something um, and right now the current prophet who speaks for this one god is this person and here's where he lives or here's where she lives and this person thinks they're actually the one that was born at the exact same time yeah and maybe there's some conflict like right because oh! it's uh, good stories are all about tension and conflict and mm-hmm. this is one of the many reasons that i just i'm so bored with forgotten realms is because he's uh ed, ed greenwood the creator of forgotten realms has just kind of removed all the parts of the fantasy that he just wasn't interested in um and that includes like you know boundary disputes and um what do they say uh, legitimacy claims to um, yeah. rulership and then also well, religion it's basically like all of crusader kings too well there's <laughs> like all of the like lineage and like hardcore like crusading wars and religion <laughs> mm-hmm. well like even in china right now there's like uh the, like china established like their own like dalai lama and it's oh, a, in yeah. like that's in contention with like the one it's that's insane. promoted by the religion. They like, and didn't they like kidnap someone as a baby who was like yeah. supposed to be the new Dalai Lama, and they're like grooming him to be like a Chinese favoring Dalai Lama. Yeah, and like it's that's so interesting. But like yeah. in a pantheon of gods, like you're, I don't know if you'll ever be able to see or interact with something like that. And like that's okay. the type of stuff that I would like to see. I think and... we're getting a little too cynical, and you guys are looking at at Forgotten Realms like it should be spoon feeding us. <laughs> like I think I think it's pretty easy to make those changes, right? Like I mean, I think including that stuff can be can be super fun, and it's a bummer that there hasn't been like a lot of adventures based on religious wars and crusades. But now that I say that out loud. I can see why they haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're right. Like, it's a starting point for mm-hmm. DMs. Um, for sure. And obviously, they're not going to... Can you imagine Chris Perkins or Mike Merle saying, um, yeah, and so the Holy War they're news They're killing the book. non-believers. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so oh, join us now to free the Holy Land in the Burning Crusade expansion. <laughs> Stop. There's an idea um, that's also kind of hard to reconcile uh, when we're talking about medieval religion versus like modern uh science and understanding and that is we understand there's a natural world and there's all these systems and processes in place you know like rainfall and um whatever you want to talk about how the ocean recycles um oxygen and and water whatever take your pick it all happens by itself naturally and a lot of religion was made especially in um if we're talking about 
places with places with pantheons to explain natural phenomena like oh my gosh lightning and thunder that must mean there's a god up there who's causing lightning and thunder mm-hmm. um, and as people living in the year 2019 we understand and so it's hard to kind of turn off your mind and think like oh my gosh we need a, a spirit for every single river and a spirit for every tree or or whatever if you get into more like naturalistic or animistic religions um, and so we just sort of we don't even understand the scope of how people thought about the world and how they regarded their place in it in this this made up time period that's kind of medieval kind of renaissance kind of modern all D. yeah yeah this this comes up occasionally when talking about spells or stuff and it's like does the laws of like are the laws of physics the same in like a D world right like if or- i made the fire god mad would fire just not work that day yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. Um and I think that the standard answer like like if you're trying to just make the best world possible, the most playable world, then I think yeah, the standard laws of physics have to exist. Um and the gods can occasionally intervene. Yeah. Um which brings up a really interesting point like is there room in D&D for an omnipotent god? For a non-omnipotent? No, for an omnipotent god. An all-knowing god. I don't know. No, all knowing, all powerful. Yes, like, he's omnipotent. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't I'm just think thinking. there is. I'm just thinking. I mean, yeah, sure. Like, it's a fantasy universe. I think that people would be upset to be playing in a game that just basically has, like, God, you know, the creator, the father God. Because um, in a way, it is sort of limiting. Because, like, why would I worship something other than the most powerful God? Like, the God of everything? When I could be, you know, why worship this one little demigod of fire when I could go to the the ultimate creature. Yeah, so, and why wouldn't that god snap all of their gods out of existence? Like, with well, and so at, at this point now, it becomes a conversation that's more reflective of, like, real-world theological debate and thought. Oh, yeah, because, like, the problem <laughs> of evil. <laughs> right. And so now we're just, like, talking about real-world stuff in a game. Yeah. And I think that a lot, some people would be very uncomfortable with that, um, or they would just sort of make concessions in such a way that it's, you're offending somebody. Like, whether or not, what, whatever side you land on, you're offending somebody. Yeah, I, I think the only omnipotent god you should have in your games is yourself, DM. Dungeon Masters. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, hmm. so uh, another thing I think is really interesting is like like I said earlier that like it's all of these these gods are really tied into world building. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like the idea of maybe there's like a life cycle of gods, or maybe gods rise and fall over time, um, or maybe gods only have like a 3000 year lifespan interesting um this thing it kind of changes it adds adds a little bit more creativity to uh to the recipe um and it also allows for players to discover um allows players to discover like dead gods or dead demigods or like um imagine that like imagine coming across a a massive like table think like last supper table but it's a bunch of like 50 feet tall dead deities like at this table imagine that it'd be like a mm. dead pantheon like oh that's like super super interesting to me um so yeah i like the idea of there maybe there being a cycle um to to gods or, or they rise and fall over time that can be a way to interesting An- another thing that you could do is you could have gods that can only intervene or interact with the world at certain times or in certain ways oh yeah so it's yeah, like, like it's like the festival of your god because this is the time when he can actually impact the world that's cool oh like, dude like imagine like a tribe of goblins uh that worships the sun um and they're just this weak 
tribe of goblins, but like on every summer solstice, they can all cast unlimited fireball. Oh my god! <laughs> like, like it changes everything. It's well, really... so yeah. then the humans would have a festival called "Kill All the Goblins" a week <laughs> before, before their the festival. <laughs> <laughs> Which oh, that's man. a festival I would celebrate multiple Drama. times a year. Oh man! Okay, we we need to get shirts that just say uh, "Will's Dead Goblin Society." <laughs> oh, I would join my, that society my captain, twice. My captain. Oh, um, no. Okay, so this brings some more interesting ideas that are just like the creation engine is is happening in my head here. Um, what if you have a world where the gods have to live on the planet with you, like they are bound to this realm and oh, they cannot like a leave? Physical place. Yeah, so yeah. they have like Mount Olympus. Right, but, but it's, it's like a physical place real. you can Literally, go. Like, yeah, yeah, and they're they're basically just like twentieth level D and D characters, but eventually they will die. Like so, even it. So let's imagine the gods are just literally mechanically as powerful as twentieth level D and D characters. Um, so you have the the monk with the what's it called the soul that doesn't age oh, like the body. Yeah, you have the yeah. druid with the the body that ages Unlimited at like wild shape, like one tenth yeah. of the aging rate of a normal person. Um, so eventually they would die, but it would be all at different rates and things. Um, oh, that's then, super cool! Right, and then you could like really interact with them, but like how annoying it would be to be the most powerful person in, a, in, a, in an area, and people are constantly harassing you to like grant their wishes, their prayers. We're trying to take you down and right, it, it, you. and it makes these gods seem more human in a way, or more like relatable, because you're like, I wouldn't want that life for myself. I don't want yeah. to answer prayers. Yeah, that's super cool. And then you get to have that kind of rise and fall over time. Is maybe gods just like disappear like they just go and hide for a few thousand years because they're tired of being the god yeah definitely i love that mm -hmm. um another two things that you can do uh that kind of all mythologies do is they have a uh, a founding myth like a uh genesis like a uh a beginning of all things like a what do they call that a foundation myth a creation myth um, so yeah, you can have like a creation myth, but also have like an apocalypse myth. Um, think like Ragnarok, like the cycle of, you know, the Norse mythology. Um, and these things I would not recommend to a new dungeon master, um, or a dungeon master that's only doing like one shots. Um, these are things, these are deep lore stuff that are only super delightful if you have really, uh, a really developed world and really interested players, uh, but they can really take up, uh, take the game to the next level, take it up a notch. Uh, but they're they're really fun to add into just the mythology of your world because I don't think we think of them in regards to religion and gods, but we don't think of like the storytelling, the mythology of that you know real people would make up about all these events. Like you're saying, it's an advanced move here to come up with like a, an origin myth, a world creation myth, but also like the apocalypse myth um that's that level of world building that i think is dangerous to get hooked on early on because it's just taking time away from your actual For prep sure. um but man if you're into writing that stuff like what a fun thing to be like like start your game on the last that was the, the first day of the last days there's all these prophecies coming true, and like it's the yes. end of the freaking world, and so your players are just along for this fun ride. Like that's that's a great way to tie your religion and your world building together. Yeah. For me, if yeah. it's like if it's not going to come into your play, to play in your game, like don't use it, don't make it. Mm -hmm. If like you don't need a I guess a world creation myth if you're 
players have no way of like knowing mm-hmm. how that happened. If you're and if it doesn't serve any purpose in your campaign or in your story, because it's just irrelevant details at that point. So so let me think of someone who like has been a young dungeon master, eager to to world build. I guess the fear is like, how do you know what's going to come up and what isn't? You know, like what if a player asks, oh. What's that god? Where'd they come from? What do they do? Would well, you just be like, ah, who cares? Not important. Or would you be like... <laughs> I mean, I, I would think a, a bulleted list with like a name for would sure. probably do yeah. the trick for nine times out of ten. Um, That's and then exactly I, what I did, yeah. Yeah. And if it becomes important, go and write a paragraph about them. And if it becomes more important, yeah. write another paragraph. Like it's... Yeah, you know. can always come back with more information, but it's hard to like have all of that information. And then when it's not used, you're just like, oh, well, I just wrote three pages on... You know, Gurnock, the god of of axes. But I had fun and with that... Gurnock. <laughs> but yeah. if he never comes up, then like, why did no, you yeah. write it? It's, it's just it's like wasted time and energy of, of dungeon mastering. Well, so I would I would disagree somewhat with David. Where if you're writing it and you're having fun, like j- you can just do it. Like that's fun. Yeah. But yes. if you're if you're uh, feeling solo. obligated yeah. and you're like, oh, I've wrote the f- the first two gods' bios, now I have to write the next seven of them. That <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound so, fun. Like, no. please don't do that because you're yeah. going to be just resentful and tired and <laughs> that's how you burn out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So uh, oftentimes deities are uh, tied to like alignment and their motives are really clear. I think that's something that's really interesting um, when you read just like 5e, like the, the, the typical gods, it'll say like this god is this, they represent this, they want this. And it's so like objective and laid out. It's like, wait, so everyone knows this? It seems a little like mechanical and not like a story. Um, and it really bums me out, like how clear the motives are. Mm-hmm. So I think a, a cool way to... I don't know, add some more mystery to it or something would be to to maybe have gods with unknown motives. I think this is something that draws me to Lovecraft um, mm. and like, you know, Call of Cthulhu. You think of like these great cosmic horror deities and you don't know what they want. They have strange cults that have strange beliefs and none of it really makes sense logically. And that makes it all the more interesting and compelling and, and horrifying. Uh, because there isn't some logical like this is this is Gragnoth, he's the god of the forge, and he likes people who make armor. It's like, okay, but like, what if he didn't? Or like, what if he <laughs> became evil? Or like, yeah, I think giving so much certainty to what gods do um, can be an easy shorthand for new players and can lower the barrier to entry. But I think there could be some cool intrigue with what the gods really want. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just having a lot of ideas from this conversation, Jake, about like maybe one of the main problems with pantheons and with gods in D&D is just we don't make them interesting because there is sort of this known factor, like you're saying, oh, I know exactly what Erebus, the god of flowers, wants for me. It's yeah. predictable. It's like a slot or not a slot machine. It's like um, a vending machine. You know, I do yeah. this and I get this back. I and press that's this button. And that's yeah. really not historical in the way people regarded gods. Like they're always trying to learn their will. And oh, learn, yeah. learn like, the mechanics what, of it. Right. Like what did I do that made them mad? <laughs> they're I, no idea. I, don't, I, I don't think people should have common knowledge of religion at all. Like if you look at the real world and you go up to any person on the street and you say like, what's Hinduism? What's what? What's Catholicism? Like what's what's Islam about? No, they won't be able to answer unless they're of that religion. 
So it's like, why why should you get all of this information about this god for free, like for no reason? Like, do you yeah, have yeah. Do you have advanced knowledge in religion? Like, well, so then maybe what we should do now is we write out like, here's the three gods that I have in my world, and then I'm gonna write like three or four rumors, like the guy on the street knows this about them, and make sure oh, they I contradict. Love that. Yeah, and yeah. then you're like, oh, he. I think he governs like rain, but also maybe like you know pregnancy or something, right? Yeah, um, loves animal cool. sacrifices, but hates blood. <laughs> <laughs> you like, won't believe number fourteen. <laughs> you won't. Be- <laughs> no, no, I think that's. I mean, David brings up an interesting point about like what NPC should know. Like, I think the dungeon master has an obligation to know at least a little bit about their world, mm-hmm. um, but the NPCs don't, especially like standard you know, peasant townsfolk, um, they're probably just doing whatever they can to get by. <laughs> Let um, me tell you a treatise about the difference between <laughs> Islam and Christianity. Like, why does the apple seller know so much about... <laughs> My apples! Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, um, I think, yeah, the motives of gods and g- generally just the information about what the gods want, making that a little more vague, especially for gods that none of the players worship, um, make that a little more vague, make that a little more mysterious and use the rarely used skill in Dungeons and Dragons, the religion check. Oh, yes. there, I didn't even know that was in the game. Yeah. Cause no I never one, used it. Ex- yeah. So, so yeah, have these gods affect the world in a certain way. Don't have their motives shown and yeah, make people invest in the religion check for once in the, in their lives. Um, and then of course I got to plug this definitely just go read um if you don't have it it's the uh, wayfinder's guide to ebron the fifth edition sort of like miniature source book for the thing go read the uh-huh. section on gods it will change your game yeah. at least your perception because because all the things we're saying he's already done mm-hmm. and it's wonderful because yeah. they have they're just mysterious they're unknown yes in other words ebron is great let's move on yeah um, okay, so let's let's go through some like common alternatives. Um, these aren't going to solve the problems, but these are kind of the alternatives to the complaints we had about pantheons in general and kind of the standard bloated 5e pantheon. Um, so here are some alternatives. We talked about this earlier. Uh, so what would the world look like if it was monotheistic, so just a singular god? Um, and we talked about this uh, that it does weirdly make some people uncomfortable. Maybe because, like, the Judeo-Christian culture just has one god, but it feels very... I don't know. I've heard people saying that, like, they wouldn't want to be a cleric if they were the cleric of the the one true god. Have you guys heard anything like that? I have. I have. And like I said, it's just too close to home, I think. We, we're playing fantasy games to um, to kind of find new and fun things and... Actually, I, even even myself, like it's kind of boring if you're like, oh, I'm the cleric, and all clerics only worship this one god. But like we said, if there's a hundred interpretations of that god, that's where it gets really fun. For sure. I mean, you could have like a Catholic Church scenario where mm-hmm. they just are doing it to usurp power. That's like that's interesting. <laughs> Whoa, hot take, hot take. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what? literally what the Catholic Church did is like, oh, like, yeah. the king is like divinely ordained by God, and we're the ones who know God's will. So everyone yeah, get to choose who's king. Right. Um, so another, another possibility is, uh, we, I think we mentioned it earlier, animism or like pantheism where mm-hmm. everything is, is kind of divine. Everything from the blades of grass to, um, the, the, uh, the trees themselves have this kind of, um, spirit. Um, this kind of feels like 
Star Wars, The Force, um, Light Side, Dark Side, um, but this can get a little, little strange. Yeah, I don't know of a lot of, I don't know of a lot of people who use this in their D and D because this is more like it's just a lot more work because you're like, oh no, like I now I have to come up with a thousand little spirits who like operate in every aspect of reality. Um, definitely, you could have a character who believes that this is true. That's easy. Um, but yeah. as far as world building, I I would stay away from this just personally because it's just so much work. There's um a character in Critical Role that like will speak to the trees and stuff, mm-hmm. and the way Matt Mercer has played it has been very interesting. Where it's like at some points you're like, oh yeah, this dude can talk to trees, and at other points like Matt Mercer says something where like the whole party looks at, and they're like, wait. Yeah, that he's just bullshit. Like that isn't real. He's just like pretending to, and it's really cool how you like can't tell mm. if this dude's talking to trees or not, <laughs> which is which is really cool. Kind of the vagueness of of that interpretation. Um, next we have duotheism, which just means two gods, usually opposing, like uh, good versus evil, light versus dark, chaos versus order, nature versus civilization. Um, it's just a contrast, a, a dichotomy, a um, diametric opposition. And actually, you said the force was kind of this animus, animism, pantheism, um, but it could be fit oh, into yeah, this. this. Yeah, because it is like yeah, light and dark. I think um, this is. I think a lot of people, especially in you know Western Christian civilization, would recognize this more than they think, because I think a lot of people ascribe like you know the idea of like this this uh, devil figure, um, this Lucifer has a lot of power and like it really is like have you seen that like meme of like you know god and the devil are wrestling tell me have about you guys, this meme it, it literally just the, it. it says like you know one like equals one prayer and one share equals 10 prayers or something <laughs> oh, um, no. but but it just shows like literally like this buff jesus like arm wrestling um <laughs> which is just really funny um uh, and it really is like like what duotheism like if that was a literal thing that was happening is like there are two opposing gods um and i think we're drawn to making this like good versus evil Mm -hmm. uh but it changes entirely if you make this like chaos versus order or like nature versus civilization because that makes it much more interesting like what if you have this group of druids that worships like this god that seems to be very good but they're like a bunch of eco-terrorists that destroy all people that try to, you know, colonize their forests. And then the other side is like, you know, super, uh, you know, lawful, like they're doing everything good and it seems to be a good civilization expander, but like they're just eviscerating nature to do so. Like that's where it gets Hmm. a little more, uh, I I like when it's not just standard good versus evil. Yeah, depending on when, or depending on where you draw the line, um, because good versus evil will produce different pantheons than drawing a line at chaos versus order because obviously you're just looking at two very different aspects of reality so i think there's there's some interesting results that can come out of building your world like this uh even if you just split the forgotten realms thing into like good and evil um it's probably a little too reductive for my tastes but i think um if you could go really crazy and have something like um i don't even know morality versus um I don't know. I'm sure that we can come up with some crazy one. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what Matt Mercer does. It's like the, uh, it's like the betrayer gods versus the standard gods, and then of the standard gods, like some of those are like outlawed by certain people. So it's like they're kind of three groups, um, huh. and it's yeah, it's 
it i think it, most pantheons end up doing this anyway like especially if you're on like the alignment chart of like you know the chaos versus order and good versus evil um and so okay next one which i think is super interesting because it's, it's very historical is the idea of a patron god of like patron gods that um protect their certain like jurisdiction okay. um where so like a certain city will worship a god and so let's say hypothetically in 5e, all of the clerics and um, uh, paladins and monks or whatever would get their power from this one deity that protects this one city. But if they get out and go to another city, they lose all their powers, hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, and that that's historically what they would do. Like cities would build huge statues made of pre- precious metals. Um, and that would literally be their god. And so uh, different city-states, when they'd conquer each other, would oftentimes take the statue back to their place and say, ha-ha, we got your god. <laughs> and the people are like, oh, crap, they literally have our god. So, like, our priests' <laughs> prayers won't work. <laughs> and I'm just imagining, like... It's crazy. Like, trying to smuggle a god out of a city? No, yeah, like, no, like... <laughs> it's, it's yeah. And, I mean, they were obviously just statues. But it's it's super interesting to read in history of, like, I think it was Persia that, that took so many different city-states in the Middle East um, and the Near East that, like, they had, like, a storeroom for stolen gods. Hmm. And it's just super cool to see, like, you know, imagine the power you think you'd have if you have all these statues. You're like, none of my enemies can have their prayers answered because <laughs> I have all their gods. So yeah, the idea of patron gods um, could be pretty interesting. Um, maybe if they're not like god gods, the idea of like a demigod or like an arch uh, lich or whatever, an arch uh, uh, arch cleric or something, protecting each uh, city or something could be really interesting. Well, so that reminds me of the Catholic tradition of patron saints. Uh, yeah. These individuals mm-hmm. who have some domain, um, some very specific uh thing that they can bless you with. Uh, and I think that's pretty fun. Um, I believe it was my brother-in-law actually had in his game, he had patron saints instead of gods because the, the ultimate God was unknowable. Like, um, what do they say? The divine watchmaker kind of argument and Uh and all you really had access to was these saints, um, who had lived at some point and then died. That's cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's ways to incorporate this. I think it's very hard to have like this kind of, uh, epic of gilgamesh like early fertile crescent <laughs> type patron gods um but especially using them as demigods could be super cool yeah Ooh, the last one uh is no gods <laughs> well, which we see this in dark sun where the gods have died for various reasons i don't i don't remember specifically why but um basically people have to worship elementals for as their deities ah to get their power i like that uh, this is a classic low magic kind of setting, or at least low divine magic. Um, but yeah. the, just because you have no gods does not mean you have no magic. Uh, yeah. You just have to find a new way of explaining how clerics get their power. It also doesn't Definitely. mean that there are no powerful figures, because you can have powerful figures outside of gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did this, um, I did a post-apocalyptic game called, like, I called it Heaven's Fall, where all of the, the gods uh, died. Um and it just like like everything collapsed because all these infrastructures of healing and all these divine things just didn't work anymore. Um, so like the paladin order collapses, all the clerics, none of their spells work anymore. Uh, the monks just flee. Like it's and it, it was it was really interesting to explore that um, 
And it was really fun to have character. I think I had one character that was a Oath of the Ancients paladin. Um, and I was like, ooh, that's kind of on the verge of like, I don't know if your powers would work, but we kind of justified it as like he literally got power from nature itself. Hmm. Um, and his powers were weaker, like when he was not around trees or like around any vegetation, like he would, he would become significantly weaker. So it, it was really cool to kind of have to navigate those, uh, challenges because yeah, if you don't have gods in your setting, there are certain uh, spells and abilities that just kind of don't make sense thematically, and you really have to work through that. I'm just imagining more of like a like a almost a patron situation where you have like just powerful magic users who say like, "Hey, if you do this for me, if you serve me, like I'll give you some cool powers." Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like it's like a like a, it's a warlock. It's almost like a warlock situation, but with like you could almost have like clerics on behalf. Like you can cast cure wounds if you know. You do, if you do my errands. So yeah, so now let's talk about how to improve the standard D&D idea of, of pantheons and gods and deities and religion. What can we do to make them better? Well, as we've mentioned, you can always just add more conflict. Um, make it so people don't agree very much on what this god is or who they are or what they do. Um, and maybe put a couple of nations at war about it. Like that's that puts the uh, the entire world building of your yeah. gods at the front and center because then the players are like, well, why are you guys fighting over this belief? And they're like, oh, because of this reason. It just, yeah. If you want to write about gods and and put it on display, you need more conflict. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to be creative about how you create your deities. Um, but one thing I think that would make the, everything so much better in regards to clerics and paladins and whatever that like worship someone or they have a church or religion is just to make the deities a little bit stricter. Um, and this is something that I, I've struggled with because I've used this before hardcore and it's worked really well in my games of like uh, warlock patrons can like, you know, kind of snap their fingers and take away powers or like paladins uh, if they mess up their oath can lose their powers or clerics. Um, you know, if they don't, if they aren't adhering to their god, can be reprimanded and lose their powers. And the ability to take away someone's powers is like, some players are very scared of that. Mm-hmm. And I have a player that's kind of a min-maxer that's like, I will never play a cleric or a paladin or, uh, or a warlock in your world. Because although it's fun to communicate with you as like a patron or a, a god, just having to stick to a certain ideal or alignment or losing my powers is like nuts and i completely agree it is nuts but i feel like me having that power as a dungeon master has made people respect deities and religion a lot more mm-hmm. uh, we've had many people write in and say really the same thing like they do not trust their dungeon master because they would just take away their powers as soon as um as soon as they could they didn't, yeah as soon as they got off the rails yeah. yeah um and i think that there's kind of a compromise here a middle ground and in the strongholds and followers book that we uh, reviewed actually uh, two episodes ago. It was the last episode. Oh, was it? Uh, the Strongholds and Followers book that we reviewed last episode. Um, they they have rules for tracking your uh, here's a word for it, your devotion level, and there's certain things you can do that will gain or lose uh, points, and uh, maybe that's something better. So instead of like, oh, you disobeyed me one time, lose all your powers. It's more like, <laughs> oh, you disobeyed me, like you lost three or five points. 
like you're now at like a, a minus two to cast my spells or, or something. Cure wounds yeah. isn't as effective. Yeah, there's lots of like smaller knobs and you can even turn. Even if it's like yeah, it, even whatever knob it is, like if you just say, hey, every time you cast a healing spell, it's minus one to your total roll. Yeah. That's so like mechanically, that's next to nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. But when players have to like write that down on their sheet, they're like, oh crap. Like, my god is mad at me. And it, it, it really is, um, it is really good. Or, like, especially if a cleric has been super good, like, just giving them, you can cast Bless for free as a bonus action. Like oh, that's per, that's great. But maybe just, like, one Bless. So it can't, like, bless a bunch of creatures, but, like, one person once a day. Um, and then, like, they love that ability, obviously. And then you could, if they do something wrong or they uh, take a turn, you can just say, okay, you don't get that anymore. Mm-hmm. It feels like parenting advice. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> but it, but it really is. Um, you have to have these levers, um, engages to to mess with in order for it to feel real. Because yeah, if you have this kind of like, your God didn't like that. Your God disliked that. Like they're gonna <laughs> and then be, okay, it never I don't, I don't comes care. up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really it has to have some, albeit super minor mechanical change. In order for it to feel, in order for the players to feel something, and I like that distant feedback because, in instead of saying like, "Oh, now your god's gonna be mad at you," it's just like, "Oh, you just can't use that ability anymore." It's like you get you get feedback in a different way rather mm -hmm. than just like verbal feedback. It's more of like a passive feedback. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, other other things we talked about is um. You know, in creativity in the way of, like, the vagueness of, like, what the gods are, um, not revealing what they stand for exactly. Maybe there being uh, myths about certain gods that uh, different cultures interpret differently. Um, I think not letting players just, like, you know, look at the 5e book and go, wait, no, it says this god is the god of this, so he's gotta like this. Like, making it like, oh, no, 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 it's it's much more complicated than that. Um as long as this isn't messing with the mechanics of it, I think this could be very interesting, especially for longer games, to, to understand what the gods really stand for. Or mm -hmm. the whole Greek mythology of, like, the gods are, in their own way, pretty terrible. <laughs> and completely unknowable, inscrutably confusing. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, now let's dig into, aside from, like, gods and deities, let's get into religion the specifics of how religion typically works in DD. so what is the standard you know kind of religious uh what's the standard uh religious tropes of DD? well i mean it's 2019 and everybody's all about like getting along uh oh. so it, that's reflected in the game where it's sort of like i have my beliefs you have yours and we just go on our way like like i said in the beginning there's no conflict and it's really not very interesting what yeah. we need is some bitter disagreements. Yes. Yeah. I want some I crusades. Think... <laughs> crusades. <laughs> no, I think um, the whole, yeah, you do you, I do, I do me. It's just like, it, it, it's worked in my games. Um, you know, especially if, if they all worship uh, a god that represents the same, you know, good or lawful side of the pantheon. Mm -hmm. um, but there has been some really interesting stuff. I had a character I think who's neutral good, maybe lawful good. Uh, it was a paladin and a character who was, it was a warlock that was, you know, classic chaotic neutral. Um, and at the end, like the whole way through Tomb of Annihilation, I was like, every time they slept, I would give them like opposing visions mm -hmm. of like their gods wanting different things. Um, 
And it was really cool because they didn't metagame, but they like like out of character knew that both characters were like, this is going to come to a head <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and it was so good. Cause they like, they did everything, but then the warlock, like secretly kind of, uh, you know, planted a bomb at the end, um, in order to kind of ruin all the paladins plans. And it was like, Oh, like that tension was so good between the opposing gods. Um, and I think that's the first time I really did that. Um, and it worked so well. Um, and so I think a lot of times this is really hard to do because there is that, you know, intra-party conflict that can cause a lot of tension that sometimes can't, that sometimes will end poorly. Um, but if you have the party for it and if you have the, the communication skills, especially metagaming, like out of the game, I think this conflict uh, can be really, really good between the deities and what they want. Hang on, let me see this. I'm, I'm trying to bring find a way to smoothly transition into talking about why Talos is banned in Skyrim. Oh, oh, dude, that's such a good one. But I, I, I think you just did it. <laughs> I did. So, does anybody know why Talos is is illegal? Is is banned in Skyrim? Because I don't know. I don't know. I just remember, like, whenever I think about pantheons, like, I always think of that guy in um, the first. He's talking about Talos, mm-hmm. White Run. Yeah, 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 White Run, where he's just like, "Praise Talos," and then he gets yeah. arrested for being <laughs> illegal. Yeah, I think that that tension is really cool too between like the government and like you know what what deities are allowed to worship you're allowed to worship and which ones are just like off limits and are kind of regarded very poorly amongst the populace. Yeah, I, I try to think Talos specifically. I don't remember. I remember Talos being something in Oblivion, yeah. and then it being banned in Skyrim. Uh, but I don't remember why. But I really liked it. Like it made the world feel more alive. How like. I think the the empire just like banned banned it out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I really it just makes the world feel like it's living and breathing. Mm-hmm. There isn't the static pantheon that like I feel like you know the, the Forgotten Realms really has this kind of static pantheon where nothing really changes. Um, yeah. Also, I really like that. It says here on this wiki that um, the banning of Talos was a result of a peace treaty between the empire and then Thalmor. Um, so without explaining all this stuff, it's. It, I, in D&D, it's cool if you would have these kind of things shaking up your game. Like, oh, look, this this war happened. Maybe the players like resolved some international dispute. But the peace treaty resulted in something, some worship, some god being banned. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's kind of this, like, um, you know, poker chip that you weren't expecting to be part of the deal. <laughs> I love that. That's super cool. I love that. All right. Yeah. Um, so banning, more religious wars. What else can we do? So I think, um, yeah, also there can be this kind of flow between, because you hear a cult and it's like, oh, spooky. And then you hear religion and you're like, oh, standard. But like there is this kind of push and pull between those two things. Um, like uh, I had in one of my, I think it was like my Rise of Tiamat homebrew game, like the cults, like the, the Tiamat uh, chromatic dragon cults kind of just like came to power in like a, a very forceful coup. And it was really interesting how like overnight that went from like a cult to like a religion that was like state mandated. Mm. Um, and it, it was really cool um, how that transition happened. So I think um, messing with uh, those things, I mean, even you could have worshipers of a dead God, they get no benefits, but their hope is that like they'll resurrect the God and then suddenly be rewarded for it. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do with uh, the, the divide between like cults and religion. Hmm. I never thought about that. 
And yeah, like you said earlier, religious wars, crusades, that sort of thing that you you can't imagine hearing like any official Wizards of the Coast products being named for. Um, that stuff can be really interesting. I love um, campaigns where there is kind of this constant state of warfare. Because um, when you think of like if you were born in some random place in, in Europe, chances are you're going to be born into either one of the Crusades or the Hundred Years' War or the Thirty Years' War or the Seven Years' War or any number of religious conflicts that were taking place in the region. So those are so common in history, they should be common in your world. Yeah. You know what I want to do is I want to make a world-building book about all of the taboo topics. <laughs> so it's just like race, religion, just all of it. <laughs> That'll sell like... Not hotcakes. Uh, it'll be very, very controversial. It'll sound like hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing that I, I really, in regarding religion as well, one thing I, I've thought of that'd be super cool is like, um, you know, in, in Christianity and in almost every religion, there's been this kind of major schism where people mm-hmm. disagree about the tenets of the faith and like split into two separate religions. And I thought about, like, what if there was, like, this this religious order that worshipped this one god, um, but then they had, like, this religious schism, and they, like, you know, had this divide, and they split up into two separate religions? What if, like, the gods split into two separate gods? Oh, my gosh. So every time there's a new denomination, a new god yeah. is born? And, like, they're half as powerful. But, like, yeah. And they're I, I love the idea, and this seems to be canon in, like, the, the 5e standard stuff, is that, like, gods are powerful or as powerful as the proportion of followers they have on the Relative. plane. So it's like Tinkerbell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, no, I really think that um, that has a thing. And so I, I have one of the gods in my pantheon. His name is Tycho, um, who is just a standard, like, swindler, like, grifter, <laughs> that, um, you know, is – all he was doing was, like, doing magic tricks, card tricks, um Try, you know, gambling, and he had so many people invoke his name when they would, like, flip a coin or do a gambling thing that he slowly ascended to godhood because so many people invoked him uh, in his name, and now he's the chaotic neutral god of luck. So if I was a bard in your game, could I charismatically, like, make up a god? I, you could, but it would take so many followers to, like, m- over to make so many thousands of years for that to, like, come to fruition as, like, an actual deity. Um, but yeah, yeah, deity, I love the idea of like, uh, there is that relationship between how many followers they have, and that makes the deity as powerful as they are. Like the Kuatoa, who worship. Yes, enemies. yes, the, and no, can't they, that, that, that's, that's canon, like they can literally create gods out of things they worship, because yes. there's just so many of them, I love yeah. it. <laughs> oh man. How can you make religion more impactful or matter more to your players and in your world? What are some yeah. of the practical things that we can do? I think the main tension here, obviously, is between, like, um, magic is this powerful thing. Um, and the, the sorcerer's magic that seems so innate is so different than the magic from a cleric or a paladin. because it, it feel, Or a warlock. Because it feels granted. Like, it feels... Like, it doesn't derive from your bloodline or from your magic special abilities. It, it comes from somewhere else. Um, and I think there's that tension between magic and and deities, but really magic and, like, or, like, deities and the mechanics of 5e. And, like, reflavoring spells. So, h- how have you guys solved that? Have you ever been in a situation where, um, 
you know, maybe a deity doesn't make sense or maybe the deity leaves or like having to reflavor spells that seem to be like granted from deities when the players might not have one. I've This is a problem I've never had to solve, actually, because my deities have mattered so little in my games. And also nobody ever plays clerics for some reason. Like nobody plays clerics in my games. Even though they're the most powerful class. Yeah. Interesting, because uh, I have both dealt with this uh, problem and have played a cleric in one of your games. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is something that a problem that is brought up often online that that is way more easy to solve than people get um, get wrapped up about is like reflavoring spells. Um, I once had a bard uh, that reflav that said, "I don't want to know any magic," and I was like, "Okay, you're level two and you're a bard though, so." So you're going to know some magic. And he's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, okay. And so we really thought creatively about um, making each spell like a literal thing was happening. So oil slick was like an actual like vial of oil that he put on the ground (laughs) or like stuff like that. And it really was kind of what they're trying to do with the artificer right now. Hmm. Um, And it was, it was really delightful. I I really, it was fun. And so um, oftentimes people are, are scared of editing out religions or deities because they feel like it'll mess with the spells. Um, but I feel like you can reflavor them with a little bit of collaboration with your players that it can be it can be super great without the need of like feeling like the power is coming from somewhere else. Hmm. Wait, there's there's some really crazy spells for Bard though. Like how do you explain things like uh Silent Illusion or uh the spell that lets you run faster, Expedious Retreat? Oh dude, easy. Expedious retreat, dude. I mean you just you have these super cool boots. <laughs> you press a button. <laughs> like spring-heeled jack oh okay <laughs> um we're probably like levitate no, i think we almost oh i think we only hat? he only ended up having like level because bards are half casters right are they full casters? full casters baby oh lord uh so yeah i think we only got we only got to like level eight um so it wasn't too much of a problem but yeah i think it was it was fun to reflavor him and obviously once you get to like how do you reflavor wish to be an artificer spell <laughs> like it's <laughs> it gets a little a little crazy but um i would say don't worry about that and uh yeah it's a it's a pretty easy problem to solve Hmm. and so uh the final thing uh that i think we we should end on is in the end you should just make religion matter um because it doesn't seem to matter that much a weird thing that is not on the 5e character sheet despite having like hair color and eye color uh it didn't say what god you follow or what religion you're closest to like what God's ideals you most closely adhere to. Mm. Um, and so I would say that's something. Just make sure you ask every player in your campaign which God do you most closely align with mm. and why. And it's as simple as that, but I think that'll really um, – because I feel like a lot of players, especially players like fighters or rogues that don't have to – or barbarians that don't have to worry about that, just don't. It never comes up. Um, and so really make sure to ask your players which gods they align with. And I think that can make the game more richer and make the pantheon, make the deities feel more real in the world. Yeah. And like we've been saying, um, religion is just so much bigger than it gets credit for historically. And, oh, yeah. and as I said, like just having festivals, having people talk about it, like, um, I don't know, just, just read some history books, uh, get excited for it. And, um, and actually what I did is I went and I read a Forgotten Realms novel, and the character in that book worships a god called Mask, 
And I'm like, Mask is the coolest god in the whole thing. So just find ways to get excited for putting this stuff in your game because it's, it's this whole aspect that's being ignored by and large. Definitely. And I think ex- echoing what you said, reading random lore books, even from like old uh, systems or old core rule books from previous editions or just like a random wiki for like a, a, some sort of show you like that has a pantheon and reading the different you know, relationships between the gods, the powers they have, that will just, it won't take you very long and it'll just give you this this um, increased drive to make your gods better in your game. Welcome to this week's Creature Feature. This week we're talking about angels. So... I think angels are so underutilized uh, in D&D, but when I think about it, they're not underutilized. They're just never used. I cannot <laughs> think of the last time I used an angel. I never, And I play D&D a lot. Even in the official adventures, they just don't show up. They don't. It. Why do you think that is? Well, we had Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes, and that was all about demonic stuff. Um, and I suppose that if the demons exist, we must have an angelic like counterbalance as well. But I don't know, maybe because the players are supposed to be the ones defeating evil. And yeah, that's what I was about to say is that if you look at the majority of monsters in the monster manual, they're all enemies for the player to defeat. How often are you going to be fighting an angel? Who are these lawful, good divine creatures who are here to also defeat evil. So maybe if you're running an evil campaign and all your players are like, you know, killing innocence the only thing i can think of is like maybe a fallen angel right and at that point like that's just a demon yeah yeah it's and that yeah i think this just shows like how many um you know good parties there are versus uh versus bad parties which i think is a good thing um but yeah so okay angels um are usually they have a lot of healing magic they have a lot of um like divination magic they're usually uh powerful they're usually escorting someone or doing something like you think of like um from you know the christian bible like uh the archangel like gabriel or the angel other angels are like sent to do tasks um and i think that would be really cool i'm trying to think of ways i'd, I'd implement an angel and it would what are some plot be... hooks that you would have with angels yes so let, I, yeah let's I have one that. um so you obviously have a um like a duke or a king or some noble type being followed around by his bodyguard. And that bodyguard is an angel in disguise because it says here they can disguise themselves oh. and take any form. Um, and like he's got some prophecy attached to him that he has to stay alive. Uh, the other, other plot hook would be that just that the players are given an angel to keep them safe uh, because you can throw like crazy threats at them or whatever. Um, Interesting. I think there's the like last... Oh, go ahead. I was saying, like, what if an NPC is trying to become an angel? There's, like, you know, whenever you, you a bell though. rings, an angel gets its wings. So you have to, like, they have oh to, like, God. ring a bell. That's like, there's a, like, there's a, like, there's a character, and they're trying to help the party, and, but they're trying to, like, do some quests. Well, it specifically says these are shards of the divine. Like, these are splinters of gods who have just kind of, like, you know, made make their become... own being. Like separate uh, versions of their consciousness, kind of pooped out. Or maybe you so, have a an angel that is a shard of a god who's trying to rejoin that god, and that's oh. your plot hook. Or maybe the idea of like heaven uh, being you know destroyed, like all the good gods are killed or something, and maybe this angel Ooh. is like the last shard of god left. 
Um, and so, so like, Ember, they're... Com- we'll call him Ember. Ember, yeah. So they're completely powerless. They're akin to, like, a level one NPC. Mm-hmm. But it's like you need to keep them alive. You need to keep uh, Charmander's tail from going out yeah. uh, in order to, to for them to possibly, like, resurrect that religion in the future. Oh, that's mm-hmm. really cool. That's fun. But now we have, like, this really obnoxious, like, escort quest thing. Um, unless you set it up to be like The Last of Us, where you have like a you know, oh. the the Charmander, the Ember is really helpful and also just like really lovable. And has a great accent or something. That he's like, "Hello, my name's Ember." Oh. If anything, it would be Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I would instantly kill that. <laughs> like, nope. Roll initiative. Roll initiative. <laughs> See you later. Um, I I think so much of my idea of angels comes from uh, Diablo three yeah oh yeah like with like what heaven looks like in the whole plot i mean i think the final chapter the final act takes place in heaven like you're kind of taking it back from the demons um it's um, actually called high heaven <laughs> as opposed to low so heaven not wrong like <laughs> um but yeah i think um that idea especially like also i'm thinking like world of warcraft like the idea of just these kind of like golden wings like always present um yeah there's I guess I'm I'm seeing why they are underutilized is because they're just a lack of, of evil campaigns. Um, and I think all of us have voiced our concerns with uh, having a party that wants to play an evil campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would be really interesting if I uh, thinking of like a high level campaign that's like storming heaven. Like, okay, and, yeah. and it was like maybe not chaotic evil, but like chaotic neutral. That's like trying to, uh, end like the tyrant rule of like a lawful neutral like heaven i'm imagining oh. like a suicide squad type of deal yeah yeah where you're and like just, you're all just like ambiguously like kind of bad characters kind of criminals like, doing this yeah criminals would be some kind Can of I be jared leto <laughs> that's god oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kill him. uh no actually speaking of jared leto this reminds me of uh one of my favorite quotes from uh neander wallace from blade runner 2049 and it's like oh god oh no the average person wouldn't laugh because the average person wouldn't understand how absurd it is (laughs) yeah it's it really is it's 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 close now that i realize to uh the first quote we're gonna have here of uh (laughs) you think god stays in heaven (laughs) oh man so yeah, angels. Um, I think the one time I've actually used an angel was um, uh, there's a really cool plot hook that I did not. Uh, it was like this list I was compiling of, of starting plot hooks of like an angel falls from the sky um, and lands right in the middle of the road you're walking on. Hmm. Uh, and like, what do you do next? Like he uh, wakes up and it doesn't remember anything, but he's clearly dressed in like angelic garb um Mm. that's that's a cool one um i've never used that before that was my thing and the one time i did use it there were like this he was kind of this literal gatekeeper um that they were trying to get into this certain area and he just made them answer uh a pretty complicated riddle um and then like gave the uh logical reason why he's like only like we can't allow dumb people in here like we'd Hmm. literally make people do a riddle just to make sure at least one member of the party is smart enough to like keep their wits about them um, and it was a cool little, like, reason to have an angel. Um, I think it might have been a uh, Sphinx, because they have all those riddle stuff, and they're yeah. technically celestials. Um, 
But yeah, I think um, it's hard to use angels. I think we've arrived on like why they're hard to use. Uh, we've got some interesting plot hooks. But yeah, angels are, unless you have a really evil party, um, or unless you want a super powerful NPC, it's really hard to have a good place to fit one in, you know? Yeah, it is. And they're cool. They are cool. And that was this week's Creature Feature. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 53. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. If you want to access our bonus episodes, you can do so on patreon.com slash voxarcana. The link for that is in the show notes.